0: in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: Welcome to the Donut Racing Show, where we bring a Florida Keys mindset to the private island world of Formula One racing. Hopefully, not hopefully not Epstein's Island.
0: Hopefully
2: not. <laughs> Even though there were a few names in that purported copy of yes. The Little Black Book, so that was a thing.
1: Yep. Uh, my name is Nolan Sykes. I'm joined by my two co-hosts. We got auto journalists who literally co-wrote a book on F1, and the title is?
3: Racing with Rich Energy.
1: Racing with Rich Energy. We got Elizabeth Blackstock. Hello. And Alanis King.
2: Hello. How are we doing today?
1: Doing all right. The weekend was not long enough. I feel like it flew by. Unlike this race, we'll say that. (laughs)
2: Yeah, that did not fly by. Elizabeth, you look like you have something to say. It lasted forever. It was also short, but it lasted forever. You look like you have something to say about your weekend aside from the race. No, I don't. (laughs) I sat on the couch with my cat, and that was literally it. (laughs) Speaking of cats, um, I'm trying to get all of my NASCAR drivers on board to go to medieval times, and (laughs) that... That is like herding cats. Oh, my goodness. You'll have one of them who's just super responsive, ready to go. And you'll have like four who are just like hanging out, doing whatever.
1: Does their profile dictate how fast they respond? So if you have like like a big time guy who's been in the sport for a long time does he take his time or
2: no actually it's just more like how on the the internet they are like some of them check the internet more than others Uh, like some of them get on twitter more than others or get on facebook more than others or whatever or check their phones more than others if you're texting them but others just don't check their messages, and you're like, hello, 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 Mm -hmm. where are you? (laughs) I will double
3: text, so help me God.
2: (laughs) Oh, so help me God, I will double text you.
1: Well, from a male perspective, if I may offer one, they probably are all on board, and when the day comes, they'll all be there. But, (laughs) like...
2: Nolan, I have to interject and say that that's not how Medieval Times works. Mm, Medieval mm -hmm. Times is a very popular establishment. You cannot waltz into Medieval Times with eight people on the day of and say, give us seats. Medieval Times specifically told me, if you are coming, you have to book more than a week out for like eight people because we may sell out and not have the space. So you have to give them deadlines and things like this. And like, I need to know if you're coming because one person has to pay for the tickets and then I have to Venmo you. It's a whole thing. Like It's very complicated because this is a very popular establishment.
1: So maybe, I know you've given them the deadline. It'll be day of that deadline, like, (laughs) to the minute is when you'll get your answers. I'm sorry. That's just how it works sometimes. This week, we're talking about the Italian Grand Prix, like we kind of alluded to, mixed bag of a race. Some weird stuff happened, and we're going to get into it. But first, let's talk about some of the things that led up to the race. Elizabeth.
3: (laughs) Ferrari introduced some special Monza colors. It was yellow. Uh, it's called...
2: <laughs> <laughs> it
3: was, it yellow. was yellow. They built up a lot of hype about these this yellow special edition one-off Monza livery. All the drivers were put into yellow. They looked like little minions. It was kind of cute. And I was expecting like the Ferrari car itself to be released and be yellow. It was not. It had some yellow bits. It was not even, like, enough to be McDonald's and, like, bring you a little bit of joy. It was just nope. yellow numbers and some stripes on the back. This yellow color is technically called Giallo Modena Special Edition. It's the historic color of the city of Modena, Ferrari's home city. And that's obviously been part of Ferrari's history, hence the, uh, the background of the prancing horse yes, and all that yes. nonsense. Their yellow
1: emblem. It's the same yellow. Yes,
3: it is the same yellow. So even though the Ferraris have always been red, sometimes they would have a little yellow like right now.
2: You know what? I'm at least glad that even if we didn't get yellow cars, we got Charles Claire in an all yellow fire suit because I got to make multiple allusions to that time he was doing Twitch streams in a banana costume <laughs> and just post the photos of the banana costume because he looked like a banana and it's like it was wonderful thank you buddy i'm you so either glad you wear did. the
3: banana costume to warp tour or you wear it on a twitch stream you have one of two See, choices okay
2: okay so here's a question we go up to charlotte claire and we go hey buddy do you think you would ever go to warp tour do you think he would know what warp tour was i
3: oh I gotta ask. I'm gonna, I'm like collating a list of questions to ask drivers in the media pen <laughs> at the U.S. Grand Prix that have nothing to do with the race at hand, and that's gonna be one of them. What does Charles Leclerc listen to? He gives off extreme like EDM vibes. Oh yeah, like, yeah, my god, I mean, he's, he does. He's, he's
1: twenty-four years old. He's definitely like age-wise at the tail end of Warp Tour yeah uh but you know being like a rich kid from europe i don't think that's kind of his vibe
2: you don't think he listens to metal no.
1: maybe i would be very i want to know which drivers do listen to metal because one that's my favorite genre and two i just i don't know maybe i bet kimmy did
3: daniel ricardo does
1: danny does yeah daniel uh god was it thy is murder or uh i think it was with chelsea grin uh he like went on stage with them and like
2: Parkway, Parkway Drive. Drive. Yeah. Oh my goodness, Daniel Ricardo sounds like someone who would go on stage with Parkway <laughs> Drive.
1: It was awesome. And he like did the growling and all that. It was sick. I want to know what other drivers have done that.
2: I think that's wonderful. Anyway, we were talking about Ferrari's yellow. Anyway, yes, another Ferrari
1: news. Yeah, I think they should. Have, I think they should have done a full yellow car. I think that would have been sick. Um, another Ferrari news: their bus broke down en route to Mazda this weekend. Some of you guys let us know on Twitter. Uh, by the way, follow the show on Twitter at Donut Racing Show. On the way from Zandvoort to Monza, the transport vehicle containing the engines caught fire from overheated brakes. Very unfortunate, but you know it's Ferrari, so it, you kind of just have to laugh. Firefighters were called to extinguish the burning brakes. The damage wasn't too bad, and they still made it to the track. But still, what the heck? Ferrari. It's like par for the course for their season so far. And maybe just a little foreshadowing of what would happen during their race weekend.
2: Is this a Ferrari horror movie that we are not like allowed to watch play out? I'm going to pitch something here, all right? Okay, go. It's all
3: of the spirits of the drivers who have died behind the wheel of a Ferrari because Enzo Ferrari force them to continually go faster and overdrive their vehicles, at oh. which point they were killed. Damn, that got dark. <laughs> I believe that this is the situation. This is what's happening. All of these spirits are now sad. It's <laughs> possible. I can see it.
2: Here's my vow. Whatever happens to me, I don't know how I'm going to go out. Maybe it's going too fast in a Ferrari. Maybe, Maybe I just go to sleep one day and I don't wake up. Who knows? But when I go out, I am going to haunt Ferrari. Will you haunt me? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. If I die before you, I'll come haunt you. Um, If you die before me, you got to come haunt me. But like do it in a funny way. Like don't do it in a creepy way. Do it in a funny way. I can do that. Okay, great. We got this. So speaking of haunting and things still happening, people are still giving conspiracy theories on Alpha Towery. In case you missed it, um, at the Dutch Grand Prix, AlphaTauri driver, Yuki Tsunoda, he brought out a safety car with a series of very bizarre car issues. Like, he pulled over, his team told him to pull back out, he comes down pit lane, his team tells him to leave, he stops again, safety car comes out. Moral of the story here is that that safety car completely ruined a strategy that Lewis Hamilton was on trying to win. And Lewis Hi, Hamilton yes. drives for Mercedes, Max Verstappen was the beneficiary of this safety car. Max Verstappen drives for Red Bull, which is the senior team to Alpha So people are like, huh, what's going on? And instead of leaving it at that, they get real huh, weird. What's, about going it. On? <laughs> <laughs> huh,
0: what's
2: going on? What's going on? What's was about? And instead of leaving it at that, they get real weird. They start like hurling insults at Red Bull Racing's head of strategy, Hannah Schmitz. Things get bad online. Alpha had to release a whole statement about it. But this is still going on. Lewis Hamilton admitted that he messed up his own restart. So after the safety car, Lewis Hamilton's still in the lead, but he doesn't have that same benefit he had before the safety car. He gets absolutely eaten by Max Verstappen on the restart. The car
1: was in the wrong engine mode.
2: He admitted... That the car was in the wrong engine mode, which means, yeah, it wasn't making complete power. Motorsport.com described it really well. Because he was in the wrong engine mode, he missed out on, like, 160 horsepower boost. For the second it took him to switch the engine modes, So, he just got eaten by Max Verstappen. Max Verstappen takes the lead. Max Verstappen wins. It's over. And then we decide to go ask Yuki Tsunoda what he thinks of all this. So, someone goes up and they go, hey, Yuki. What do you think about all these conspiracy theories? Do you understand them? Do you think these fans like might have a point? And Yuki goes, first, I don't want to know. I don't care. I want to ask how your brain is created, what your brain looks like, scan the MRI and see what's wrong. It's funny how they create a story. Red Bull Racing and AlphaTauri are completely different teams. We are in Italy. They are in the UK. We compete in a completely different field. And that's what he said. You need to get your brain scanned. That's great, Yuki. Thank you so much. We appreciate you.
1: Yeah, I think people just need to realize that Red Bull is just kind of in a league of their own anyway. They don't need any sort of help right now. The car is so good. Their drivers are so good. Any disadvantage that you perceive is because of their team not being as good as Red Bull.
2: Yeah, exactly. And speaking of conspiracies, like we got conspiracies here. I think this is a great time to just launch my own segment, which is wonderfully named Conspiracy Corner.
1: You get one minute, you get 60 seconds, and then I'm going to cut you off. All right, go.
2: All right, fantastic. So we're going to start with Christian Horner is not real. And listen to me when I say this. Christian Horner is not a real person. You don't know who Christian Horner is. The image of him in your mind is not real. Christian Horner is whatever you make him out to be. Christian Horner is the petty guy from Drive to Survive. He is the petty guy in the Formula One garage. He is the thing you say when you are alluding to someone being petty, right? You don't know anything about Christian Horner. You don't know, like, his likes. You don't know his interests. You just describe Christian Horner in this way that works for you. OK, works for your narrative, works for whatever you're talking about. Elizabeth understands what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. When I talk about Christian Horner, if I'm making a joke.
1: Fifteen seconds.
2: Uh, Fifteen seconds. That's right. When I'm making a joke, I say Christian Horner, but I use the Christian Horner that's in my head. And so do you. You don't use the real one because Christian Horner doesn't exist. It's all in your head. Thank you.
1: <laughs> OK, that was 60 seconds of conspiracy corner. Come back next week. Maybe Alanis will have more for you. As we hit the apex of Conspiracy <laughs> Corner. Oh, we
2: will. We will. We have lots. We have Valtteri Botas as a beer delivery All right. truck now, driver. I already we gave you your 60 seconds. You don't get more. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're done. Elizabeth, your turn. All right.
3: Moving on. <laughs> Williams driver Alex Albon has not had the best week. Uh, he wasn't able to drive in the Italian Grand Prix after he was diagnosed with appendicitis. After his surgery, we learned this morning that he went into respiratory failure. So he had some complications with the post-op anesthetic. It's not common, but it's not unknown. So he was reintubated and transferred to intensive care for support. He's made excellent progress. And apparently uh, Williams is saying that he'll go home tomorrow. He's totally fine.
1: So scary.
3: Yeah. Can you that... imagine
1: if Alex had died this weekend? I know. From anesthesia.
3: Yeah, from anesthesia. Like what 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 on earth? So I talked to my mom about this. My mom and my stepdad are both ER physicians. My mom's a nurse, my stepdad's a doctor. And basically like this this is the thing that happens his body just didn't kind of wake up right away. So they had to remind his body how to do its functions until the anesthetic wore off, which does, it happens, but it's it's scary and it's it's not great. No. So he, he, he could not race this weekend, obviously, uh, and former Formula Two and Formula E champion Nick DeVries instead raced in his place and qualified, qualified in his place as well. Uh, F1 journalist Adam Cooper reported that DeVries was having a coffee at the Mercedes hospitality when he got the message from Williams, which came almost immediately before the public announcement. DeVries was already in the paddock because he had competed in free practice one for Aston Martin. <laughs> during which he finished 19th, ahead of one other driver, Williams' driver, Nicholas Latifi.
2: That's our boy. So,
3: it, was, it was a good time. It was a good time. At least for Nick DeVries. He got to qualify and race his first Formula One race.
1: And we'll see how he does a little later in the show.
3: Yes. But I do have a fun fact for you all about Nick DeVries. He is the first Dutch world champion. Not That West is going to piss
2: so many people off, Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. It is. Please explain why this is the case.
3: So, Formula E is a world championship. It is an FIA certified world championship. Nick DeVries won the 2021 Formula E world championship in like July or August of 2021. And then Max Verstappen went on to win <laughs> at the end of the year. So, DeVries got it first. Wow. So, he's the first Dutch
2: world champion. Ouch. Sorry, mm-hmm. Max.
3: That's you hate hilarious.
2: To see it. That hurts. That hurts.
1: Uh, for our last bit of news, we've actually been talking about this story for a few weeks here on the podcast, but it looks like Porsche will not be joining forces with the Red Bull racing team. Porsche was looking at a 10-year, 50% stake deal in Red Bull, but it apparently has all falling apart. According to Motorsport.com, Porsche wanted to take a more hands-on role than Red Bull would allow them, plus extra commercial and PR commitments. In Porsche's official statement, quote, In the course of the last few months, Porsche and Red Bull have held talks on the possibility of Porsche's entry into Formula One. The two companies have now jointly come to the conclusion that these talks will no longer be continued. The premise was always that a partnership would be based on an equal footing. Equal footing. Equal. Which would include not only an engine partnership, but also the team. This could not be achieved. With the finalized rule changes, the racing series nevertheless... Remains an attractive environment for Porsche, which will continue to be monitored.
3: Um, oh my God!
1: <laughs> Red Bull team principal Christian Horner had a lot to say, it. he said, "quote I I I can't do an impression of him, but he said yeah, I think but big." You can because he's no, not I can't. real. No, I do I can't. Whatever accent you want. Uh, he said, "I think big organizations obviously they need significant planning, and I think perhaps they were slightly getting a bit ahead of themselves." But as I say there's never a binding commitment signed between the parties which is hilarious because I think even we said that something had been signed like a month ago. Yeah. It was looking like it was a done deal, but it wasn't. Definitely not the case. So so long Porsche keep monitoring the the attractive environment and yeah. we'll see what happens.
3: So the big thing here is that Red Bull lost Honda as its power unit supplier because Honda is withdrawing from the sport Red Bull is now developing its own power units and feels like it's going to do a better job than Porsche could because it will also not have to do all of the Porsche things that Porsche wants
2: them to do. It's such a Honda move to go. <laughs> Formula One is is getting so popular and Red Bull is getting so good. We out. Bye. It's very, it's, I don't know, it's impressive, especially after you win a world championship. Like, You're doing good. We out. Bye. Like they're just (laughs) gone. Okay. Bye Honda. Whatever.
1: Well, Red Bull bought all the engine technology, right? Like the license for it and everything.
2: Yeah. So, Oh, you know what? I saw a Honda commercial, uh, the other day that was talking about all of Honda's achievements. Right. Yeah. I saw the same one. Okay. Okay. And Honda goes, uh, they told us that we couldn't win formula one in a hybrid. And it's like, (laughs) <laughs> you're all in hybrids like like that's such false someone, someone was gonna win in a hybrid
1: someone had won in a hybrid uh, like seven times
2: <laughs> it reminds me of this I think that's it's so a mobile funny. one commercial and like at the end of the commercial it's like mobile one synthetic protects your engine better than conventional motor oil and it's like cause it's synthetic it's supposed <laughs> to like You're not saying you're better than the other synthetics. Like, for people who don't know, engine oil, like, conventional is like, you put the little trash in your engine because you want it to keep going. Synthetics, like, I care a lot about my engine and I want it to go for (laughs) 10,000 miles before I change my oil. Like... Yes, the synthetic is better than conventional. The question is, is your synthetic better than other synthetics? Anyway, that's it for news for the week and conspiracies, even though Nolan obviously doesn't believe in my conspiracy. We'll try again later. Let's talk about the Italian Grand Prix, starting with the circuit at Monza. Lace up those shoes, as Nolan always says, and get your step count up with our track walk.
0: in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: The Autodromo Nazionale Monza was built in the Royal Villa of Monza in only 110 days in 1922 monza was the world's third intentionally built racetrack what <laughs> okay so it was like the third racetrack gotcha
3: <laughs> there were somewhere it was like they just raced on the roads and then they were like i guess we can turn that into a track i think this one was one of those like they set aside some land for it
1: yes okay that makes sense so obviously a very historically significant track and a favorite track for many people around the world the circuit has been in use since its first Italian Grand Prix, which took place just a week after opening in 1922. I doubt the asphalt had even like been done drying yet. <laughs> no, that's, not, that's not how it works. Uh, <laughs> and it's been part of the Formula One calendar since its first official season in 1950, with just a single year break in
2: 1980. It is a 3.6 mile, 53 lap circuit with plenty of straights, including a 1.1 kilometer start finish straight. But then, from the start finish straight, there's a series of big stops and tight chicanes that test the limits of the Formula One cars' brakes and its hybrid engine. Like Formula, like Honda likes to <laughs> like say, Honda we got to test those brakes and those hybrids. Honda's gonna be like, we're the first Formula One manufacturer to win with brakes. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> over the years, there have been a lot of track modifications to improve spectator safety and reduce speeds around the curves. Uh,
3: Monza is built for speed, and that. Used to be because there was a massive banked section that was kind of Oval like but it was removed in the 1960s after a Ferrari driver named Wolfgang von Tripps crashed into a fence and killed 15 spectators. And through that gave America its first Formula One world champion in Phil Hill. Uh, The Formula One's fastest ever lap was also set at Monza by Williams driver Juan Pablo Montoya in 2004, which was about 260 kilometers an hour, or if you are American, that's about
2: 162 miles per hour. So
1: the average speed around the course? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, very fast course.
2: Can I just say that um, I think no matter who you are, no matter when you're born, if you name your child Wolfgang, it's like a home run. Like, I don't know why more people... He had like
3: 12 names.
2: Like, more than 12 names. He was royalty. Okay, but he had more than 12 names, and he chose Wolfgang... Because the name Wolfgang is completely unmatched, right? Like, if my name was Wolfgang, do you know how insufferable I would be? Wolfgang King? Oh, yeah, I'd be so good. insufferable, right? <laughs> His full name was Wolfgang Alexander
3: Albert Edward Maximilian Reichsgraf Berg von Trips.
1: Wow.
2: Okay, wait, wait. Better known as Count von Crash because he crashed a lot.
3: <laughs> Hence why he uh...
2: died. Okay, but the Maximilian mention made me remember Max Verstappen. Max Verstappen's name is his first name is Max and then his that's middle name is a million. So his name Max is Max. Million. So Max is not short for anything. He's just Max and then his middle name yeah. is a million and I love that. I think that's fantastic. It's not quite Wolfgang level but like it's pretty good.
1: I did not know that.
2: Today that's, we learned.
1: That's I've been like
2: meeting to do a deep dive into
3: the middle names of Formula One drivers because there are some good ones. I heard that uh, Mick Schumacher's is junior, but I haven't been able to actually confirm that. Is it not Mick- on Wikipedia? Well, it's on Wikipedia, but like, I don't know if someone just edited it in because it was on there and then it was off after a little bit. So I'm like doing a deep dive and <laughs> trying to figure it out.
2: I don't get it. I don't know. But you know what? I hope you find out. Thank you. That is it for our track walk and our deep dive into Formula One drivers middle names. Let's get some context going into the Italian Grand Prix from Nolan.
1: Yes. All right. So at this point in the season, before the Italian Grand Prix, it would be pretty difficult for Red Bull to lose the Constructors' Championship. They'd have to completely fall apart. And the same goes for Red Bull's number one driver, Max Verstappen.
2: Oh, yeah. But the teams still make a proportionate amount of money based on where they place in both championships. So the fight for second is really between... Ferrari's Charles Leclerc, Red Bull's second driver, Sergio Perez, and Mercedes's George Russell. The driver standings are actually really telling right now, so I'm just going to give you the names and the points going into Monza. Going into Monza, Max Verstappen has 310 points, Charles Leclerc has 201, Sergio Perez is tied at 201, George Russell is at 188, Carlos Sainz is 175, Lewis Hamilton has crawled up to 158, and then the next person under Lewis is Lando Norris with 82. So, like, wow. giant drop-off from Max to Charles Leclerc and then giant drop-off from Lewis Hamilton to Lando Norris. The
3: Constructors' second place is between Ferrari and Mercedes, and that's kind of been a tortoise and hare situation this season. Uh, that's because Red Bull has 511 points <laughs> heading into Monza, Just a couple And Ferrari has a meager 376, while Mercedes had 346. And we're about to see yet another drop off in points, as Nolan tells us about Uh the rest of them. Uh Oh, Oh, good grief.
1: As for the best of the rest, Alpine with 125 points is only 24 points ahead, of McLaren with 101 for the fourth place in the Constructors' Championship. So that battle right there for the best of the rest is going to get really spicy for the rest of the season for sure.
2: So Elizabeth will fill us in on what happened in qualifying in just a minute or five minutes or however long this is going to take, because we're about to inform you of some complicated things. Before the race, we learned that nine drivers, nine, remember there are 20 drivers out there, 21 if you count Alex Albon, who had appendicitis, 20 drivers, and nine of them had grid penalties. (laughs) And grid penalties, what they do is they take your qualifying order and they then shake up the grid by demoting you pretty much. So Max Verstappen had a grid penalty for an engine. Sergio Perez had a grid penalty. Faltteri Bottas had a grid penalty. Carlos Sainz, Lewis Hamilton, Esteban Ocon, Kevin Magnuson, Mick Schumacher, and then Yuki Tsunoda, not for anything car related. Um, he had five reprimands. <laughs> After the Dutch Grand Prix, and if you get five reprimands, they go, all right, you're getting a grid penalty. So he has a 10-place grid penalty for the reprimands in Monza. So nine of the 20 drivers have grid penalties, and it makes things really, really wild, doesn't it, Elizabeth? Yes, it does. So
3: we saw Charles Leclerc set the fastest time in qualifying at a 1 minute 21.28 seconds. That was pole position. So he was one of the few who did not have a grid penalty, so he got to keep that. Verstappen, however, finished 0.1 seconds behind Leclerc, but he had to drop down to seventh. Uh, so George Russell from Mercedes started second, despite qualifying behind Sergio Perez, Carlos Sainz, and Lewis Hamilton. Oh my goodness. All of them hit with penalties. Jeez. So one of my personal favorite moments from this was Pierre Gasly four hours after the race tweeting, so where am I starting? <laughs> so
2: I there are rules in the Formula One rulebook, and I don't know the exact rule, but there, I think it's like two hours after qualifying, you're supposed to have an official grid. And so after qualifying, everybody's kind of sitting around like, where's the grid? Where's the grid? What's going on? Turns out nobody knows how to apply these grid penalties. <laughs> and... Form a grid, so we're all yes. just kind of sitting here after qualifying. I tweeted a picture of the grid that was just me in every position. Um, it was fantastic. <laughs> and Pierre Gasly tweeted, "Where am I? Where am I starting tomorrow? Does anybody know?" Turns out he started <laughs> fifth. Good for him. The most interesting thing to me about this qualifying session was that Mick Schumacher qualified twentieth, and he had grid penalties, but his grid penalties actually resulted in him moving up because everybody else had grid penalties too. So he qualifies 20th and he starts 17th despite having grid penalties. Like, how does that happen? Oh my God. That's funny. I didn't realize that.
1: Wow. Amazing.
2: <laughs> Congratulations, Mick. We're so proud of you.
1: <laughs> well, let's just talk about the race then. That's my transition right there. All right. Yeah. Let's uh, let's talk about Ferrari with a little segment we like to call How Did Ferrari F*** It Up This Week? Oh my God. Charles Leclerc started from pole, uh, which he earned before all the penalties were applied. It looked like it was going to be a Ferrari's race to lose. They went with a bold two pit stop strategy for Leclerc. Did not work out. On lap 12, Sebastian Vettel had to pull over to the side of the track on turn 7 as his car kind of broke down, and he was out of his final race at Monza. It turned out it was an ERS failure or energy recovery system failure, so part of the hybrid system, part of the powered unit there. The safety car comes out. Uh, Charles pulls into the pits, switches it up for some mediums, which was the choice tire this weekend. Mediums and softs were kind of the go-to tires. Because of the safety car, or virtual safety car, it was a, a cheap stop for Leclerc. But uh, lap 34, Leclerc pulls in the pits a second time for some soft tires and comes out ahead of George Russell. But at this point, he is 19 seconds behind uh, Max Verstappen, who was in the lead. That's a lot of time to make up and would take a miracle for uh, him to get back in the lead of the race. By lap 45, it was apparent that Leclerc could not get up to pace with Verstappen. The gap was holding steady at about 17 seconds, with laps ticking by before the end of the race. I don't know if this was really a major up on Ferrari's part. Uh, Just I think it's just... The uh,
3: biggest questionable thing they did was pitting on lap 12 when the tire window could have lasted them a couple more laps. That was...
2: Weird, but fine. fine. Yeah. Like they didn't really. I think the thing about Ferrari this weekend was that they didn't really mess up, and we were all shocked. But they also couldn't do anything with Red Bull. Yes, yeah. they they still just don't have the pace.
1: To their credit, like Ferrari, they had the special paint scheme. They had them in the Minion outfits. Mm-hmm. They were primed and ready to have a colossal meltdown, like uh, Mercedes did in two thousand. Was it two thousand twenty with the German Grand Prix? Mm-hmm. Yeah little context there, they wore, like, special outfits, had a special paint job, and it was, like, an anniversary year for them, so, you know, we were seeing, maybe, we could have seen a repeat of that with Ferrari, Mm -hmm. Uh, but they didn't. They managed to hold it together and just got beat outright by Red Bull, who just continued to have an amazing year for them, so I don't really think they, how did Ferrari f*** it up this week? They didn't. They just got, they just got beat.
2: They just built a bad car at the start of the year. Yeah. (laughs) But you know what? The little banana outfits were cute. They were cute. Good job, boys. Like, Yay. That's all we got for you.
1: That is an improvement.
2: That's an improvement. improvement. Like, be worse. it could have, this could have been a colossal, just horrible spiel about how Ferrari is bad. And you know what? Our conclusion is cute little outfits. You tried. Thanks.
3: <laughs> Let's touch base on Nick DeVries, our rookie of the race. DeVries entirely outshined his teammate at Williams, Nicholas Latifi. It was kind of embarrassing. DeVries qualified in 13th, which was well ahead of Nicholas Latifi, who was knocked out in Q one. Uh, DeVries did a wonderful job in the race. He finished in ninth place on the lead lap, thanks to Daniel Ricciardo's retirement from the top 10 on lap 52. That put DeVries in a position to gain more than just one point. Uh, And DeVries really held his position. He started eighth due to all of the engine penalties, and the only people who passed him were the penalized drivers making their way to the front of the field. So it was impressive. In a single race, DeVries outscored Nicholas Latifi and pushed Latifi to 21st
2: in a 20-driver
3: championship. <laughs> wow.
2: It's so sad when you're 21st in a 20-driver championship. Yeah. Like, this has happened a and couple of times. And you're not a times. one-off driver. Like, if you were a
3: one-off, I'd get it. But you're not. Like,
2: this has happened in the past few years where we have seen someone come in and do a race and push the driver at the end to mm-hmm. 21st, and it's sad. It was sad. It was bad news bears.
3: DeVries ended the race with a radio message where he said, F- my shoulders are dead, uh, and then had to ask for help to get out of the car and park ferme because he just couldn't lift himself out because, you know, Formula E cars do not have power steering, but they're not as aerodynamically strong as a Formula One car, so DeVries' recent experience just didn't really translate But after the race, he was summoned to the stewards for erratic driving. Basically, when the safety car came out near the end of the race, DeVries really, really suddenly slowed down and almost came to a stop because he was trying to make sure he wasn't exceeding the minimum speed that's allowed under the safety car. Uh, The stewards basically slapped him on the wrist, the reasoning being that he just wasn't familiar with how the car works as a last-minute driver, and that was that. He got to hold his points.
1: Yeah, that would have been really... Stupid! If they had taken that away from me, I thought it was an amazing performance, you know, uh, in those closing laps, Joe Guan Yu was behind mm-hmm. and within striking range DRS yeah. range for many laps. And I was, I was getting worried for DeVries, not because I dislike Joe Guan Yu. It's because I just wanted to see a first time driver like that in, in the points position first time out. I'm not even that familiar with him, but I was, I was really stoked for him and, uh, I'm glad he held on to those points.
2: So at the end, Daniel Ricardo's car stops on track. And this is lap 47 of 53. So last year, Daniel Ricardo won the race this year. We're at lap 47 of 53. He's parked on the side of the track. He had an engine issue and he caused a yellow flag in sector two. So we see this and we're like, "Okay, is there going to be a safety car? He's sitting with half of his car on the track and half of it off the track on the grass because there's like Literally no runoff between that part of the track and the wall. So half of his car is on the track. Safety car comes out on lap 48. And you'll remember in F1, when we count laps, you count the lap you're on. So it's, we have 48, 49, 50, 51, 52, and 53 to run. So that's six laps to run before the end of this race. So people are kind of thinking on the broadcast and online, are we going to restart this race? People start pitting just in case we do. Max Verstappen has been on the same tires for 22 laps. He pits because he has a free pit stop. Um, so does Charles Leclerc. Russell and Sainz are in third and fourth. And Max-, Max asks his team about tires. And he is told that second through fourth pitted after him. So he has new tires. And then Charles Leclerc pits. So do George Russell and Carlos Signs. There's still no truck at this point at Daniel's car. So, like, we've run a couple of laps under safety car, and Daniel's car is just sitting there, and there are, like, four marshals standing around it, kind of, like, poking at it, like, yeah, there's a car here. Where's the truck? And we're all just waiting for the truck. The commentary booth is like, are we going racing? Um, They're talking about red flags and normal procedures. So they're like, yeah, the FIA could have red flagged this. We could still go back racing. All this time, we don't know where the safety car is, (laughs) so, like, there's a lot going on. We don't know if this race is restarting. Daniel Ricciardo's car is sitting there. Where's the truck to pull Daniel Ricciardo's car away? And finally, a cherry picker truck arrives, and the safety car picks up the field. But the safety car picks up George Russell, who is in third. So it does not pick up Max Verstappen, who's leading the race. And at this point, because the safety car, like the cars are in the wrong order behind it. We're trying to figure out like how to get them back in the right order in case this race is to restart. Wasting so much time and the race does not end up restarting. And everybody was kind of mad online. And the commentators were kind of surprised, wouldn't we say?
1: Yeah, you know, I I get why people are angry, and I understand why people want the red flag in that circumstance, but to me, I just felt it was so apparent that Max was going to win anyway. I don't think a restart would have helped Ferrari that much. I mean, maybe, but you have the fastest driver and the fastest car at the front. I don't think the magic of Monza is even going to help Ferrari in that case. So I understand the frustration, but...
3: It's one of those, like, could have, maybe we, like... We could have seen something happen, but we'll never know now, yeah. as opposed to, you know, we figured out some way to make the race go back green and found out the hard way. <laughs> so but I thought it was fine. Like, not every race has to end under a green flag because this is this is what motorsport is. My favorite part of the whole debacle was that uh, multiple hours after the race, that cherry picker that had lifted up Ricardo's car, just kind of continued to sit by the side of the track with his car, like, a little bit partially in a tree.
2: (laughs) Like, that was the weirdest thing. Like, where's the cherry picker? Yeah, well, like, the fans
3: invaded the track so they couldn't drive anywhere, so they were just, like, stuck sitting there with with the car lifted up into the tree. Oh, my
2: goodness. That was a whole thing. Like, where's the cherry picker? Where's the safety car? I think, so I think the biggest issue with this is when the safety car comes out i'm like okay there's a chance they get this restarted for like one lap because six laps is a long time like had the cherry picker gotten out there had the safety car known where it was on track like in the slightest <laughs> this race could have gotten restarted i think like it would have been close but it could have i'm fine if it yeah. doesn't i think the real issue here and like why the commentators were talking about the like the discrepancy of like are we going to start are we not going to start why people online were like, oh, we're going to restart this thing. Like, this is going to be good. I think it comes from the fact that we've kind of set this weird precedent from Mm -hmm. Abu Dhabi last year. So for people who did not watch the championship finale last year, Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton go into Abu Dhabi, the last race of the season, tied. Basically, whoever finishes ahead of the other on track wins the title if they finish in the points. If they don't finish in the points, that's going to be weird and bad. We get to the end of the race. Lewis Hamilton is 12 seconds ahead of Max Verstappen. Like, it's just kind of done. And then our good old boy, Nicholas Latifi, um, brings out a safety car. And <laughs> there's a whole thing that happens. Lots of selectively applied rules to re- restart this race with one to go when it should have ended under a safety car, most likely. And when the rules and procedures should have been applied differently. And this, like, rush to get back to racing and to do it kind of the wrong way for the sake of entertainment for one lap, I think has set a weird precedent that even though it was investigated and things were taken care of by the FIA and Formula One, we haven't firmly re-established the precedent, which is we are fine with ending races under safety car and we are not going to prioritize entertainment over our written rules in the rule book and our slowness to do things. If we do things slowly, we're not going to stop the race just because we're doing things slowly. We're going to end it under safety car. That has not been fully reestablished to me. And so I think a lot of people, especially new viewers who are expecting this to be exciting because that's what like drive to survive is exciting. American sports are exciting, etc. They have a different expectation of what's supposed to happen because race control set that different expectation. And it leads to disappointment because it's hard to accept that the race ended in a boring way. Yeah. They wanted to force that it would be exciting
3: in Abu Dhabi to, like, force the two drivers to race for the championship. But I think people are struggling with the fact that, like, the race stewards are not the same. The head steward is not the same anymore. And they kind of reestablished what the rule sets were going to be, and like how they were going to do it. And a lot of people were so upset after Abu Dhabi that they were like, "I don't think we're ever going to do this again." Yeah. So I understand why we would end under a safety car because Abu Dhabi probably should have. Yes. If we had followed all of the restart procedures to a T. Yeah. You can find a way to argue your side, whichever way you want to go here.
2: Yeah, you really can.
1: I would rather a race end under boring by-the-book procedure than Mm -hmm. exciting but questionable circumstances.
2: I completely agree. I think the main thing here is that Formula One needs to be extremely clear in that we screwed up in Abu Dhabi. We are okay ending under safety car. That is how we do things. That is how we've done things for a long time. We are sorry. See you next time. Like, that's kind of just... What needs because there does not need to be this confusion on is this going to restart because even after the race, Christian Horner was like, "I would have rather Max one on track, not under safety car," which is really easy to say when you're going to win anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Mattia Bonotto even mentions Abu Dhabi and is like, "Got to figure this out. What are yeah. we doing?" Yeah. And uh, like obviously that benefits Mattia Bonotto mentioning Abu Dhabi because his team didn't win, but at the same time people are still able to throw these things around because these are things that happened and there's got to be a way to communicate that like, hey, we ain't doing that. We are going to end under safety car. Thank you so much for your time. Bye. Like, that's... (laughs) I don't know. I think it's got to be really clear.
1: (sighs) All right. well, our race results, we have Max Verstappen taking the checkered flag with Leclerc in second and George Russell in third. This is Max Verstappen's fifth straight win, his 31st career grand prix win and his 11th of the season driver wow. of the day was the aforementioned nick devries the world's first mm-hmm. dutch world champion yeah. uh <laughs> yeah uh so now Verstappen leads the driver championship with 335 points compared to charles leclerc's 219
3: in second place Ouch, that hurts Verstappen's currently on pace to beat the current standing record of the biggest points gap between first and second place in the championship. So in 2013, Vettel won by a margin of 155 points, and we are fairly close to that. We're getting there now. Wow. A couple races left to go this season. Good Lord. Wow. Remember at the start of the season when it looked like we'd have a good championship fight? Oh, (laughs)
1: yeah.
2: Do you just remember last year, everything was so close tense. and like we get to Abu Dhabi and they're tied and like it's so competitive and then we bring in a new car that's supposed to be more competitive and would maybe be more competitive if people knew how to make it.
3: Like
2: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> I mean it's plenty competitive for everyone but
3: Red Bull. Like Red Bull's just in its own league. Everyone else is like kind of doing battle. Well the thing
2: is is that like if Ferrari didn't screw up so much and if mercedes knew how to make the new car it would probably be decently competitive but it's just so sad to go from this year from last year to this yeah year.
1: well on your to your point uh toto wolf was talking to kind of alluded to the fact that they think they know what the issue is with their car they just don't they've already hit the budget cap and can't spend yeah. more money to fix the issue so yeah uh that's that's fun i think next year we'll see a little bit closer competition and hopefully a, a three-way battle for for the championship instead of just a one-way trek.
2: Well, I think the narrative of this season has been really interesting because we started out with Ferrari can't do anything right, but also Red Bull's car breaks a lot. Yeah, And yeah. so we have these two who are just like kind of falling apart next to each other and they just fall apart in different ways every weekend, so they're staying a little close. And then Red Bull's car stopped breaking and Ferrari didn't stop screwing up. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's been an interesting change in the narrative. Mm-hmm. Because it used to be just, okay, they're both screwing up. And now it's like, oh, no, just one of them screwed up now. And it hasn't been good for the title fight. Oh, well. It is oh, well. what it is. Our DNFs for the week are Daniel Ricciardo. Poor guy. We're so sorry. Lance Stroll, Fernando Alonso, and Sebastian Vettel. So sorry to all of you. But we're at... Nolan's favorite segment.
1: <laughs> Everyone's favorite segment. It's time for Boyfriend of the Week. <laughs> if you're new to the show, Boyfriend of the Week is our reoccurring weekly segment where we acknowledge who the best is. It can be anybody. It can be a driver. It can be a car. It can be a team lead. It can be a someone online with a particularly hot take. You get the picture. This is middle school rules. We're picking our boyfriend for the week only. No husbands, all right? Who's good enough to be our boyfriend? Alanis.
2: Who's bad enough is also a good question oh. because I'm not gonna say my boyfriend of the week is Will Buxton. I'm gonna say my boyfriend <laughs> of the week is the havoc Will Buxton created. Okay? okay. So mm. we have this tweet on Twitter, and it shows it shows a food. Donner. This is like a British thing, okay? And I'm so sorry to the British people listening. I'm an American, I'm stupid. Donner kebab. It looks like Really bad, almost sickly brisket with no flavoring and cooked very, very badly. This particular picture, I'm sure it isn't always like this. And the fries next to it look almost wet, and they have no salt on them, and no nothing. And it looks disgusting. This particular Ooh. picture that is on Twitter, and this person tweeted it, and they they put like these like very content faced emojis th- of this picture of food that. Looks like the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. Like, it looks like something on a space station on, like, Pluto if this were the 1980s, okay? And this person gets eaten alive in the comments. Like, it's incredible. This person is fighting for their lives, telling everybody this food is good. Like, it's not as disgusting as it looks. And Will Buxton sees this and sees the original poster fighting for their lives. And Will Buxton, quote, tweets it. Keep in mind Will Buxton is in Italy at the time, okay? He's a Formula 1 commentator for F1 TV
3: Correct. in Italy.
2: And he's in Italy. Working, working. And he quote tweets this person and says, "Get me home. Heaven in a box." <laughs>
1: I mean, I'm looking at some pictures of Donut Kebab on just Google Image right now. It looks delicious.
2: No, I'm going to send you a link to the one he shared. Okay, yeah, I'm
3: looking at this photo, and the meat slivers look like they're
2: made of plastic. It's disgusting. It looks awful. Okay, maybe it's...
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and like... Oh wow. Okay, that's a lot worse <laughs> than what you even what you made it look like uh, uh, okay. or sound like. That's so
2: funny. It's so bad.
1: Like I I was curious cuz I was like, okay, what is donor supposed to look like? And then this is just not what it's supposed to look like. That's Oh, so
3: donor kebab is really really good. If you've Like it's a good drug food. Does this
2: look really good?
3: No, it doesn't look good. This looks miserable. This looks like the saddest thing I've ever seen. If there is one thing I love, it is Will Buxton unintentionally creating drama for other people based on his tweets.
1: Chaos is your boyfriend of the week. we got to use the uh, the Donut Racing Show Twitter account. We'll, we'll retweet this so you can see this when you we'll hear
2: retweet this. It. We'll retweet this so you can see this. If you're it's British, so I love you. Oh I'm God. sorry this is not representative of your views. My favorite response on this is someone going, all of the UK eats like the Germans are still flying
1: overhead.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh I'm so I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> all right, <sighs> Elizabeth.
3: My boyfriend of the week is Daniel Ricardo. Oh. Um, multiple post-race interviews he did, he was like, I wish that race would have ended on lap one, because then I would have had a podium, and then would laugh about it, and I was like, that's the great mindset to have when you are, like, possibly not racing in Formula One ever again.
2: God bless him. I love you, Daniel. I hope... I just wish the best for you. Yes. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> My Daniel Ricciardo story about Daniel Ricciardo being just an absolute charm is last year at the US Grand Prix, I interviewed the man, right? And he had just come from an interview with ESPN. He comes and he sits down with me, and I say, Hi, I'm Alanis. And he goes, Like Morissette. And I said, Yeah, actually, my name was supposed to be Brittany. But Jagged Little Pill came out like four months before I was born in 1995. And so my cha- my name changed from Brittany Nicole to Alanis. And I'm so glad that well, it's Alanis. You're not a Brittany. I I don't I just don't give a vibe of a Brittany. You know, it doesn't you don't. fit me. No. And so I have this whole conversation with Daniel Ricardo. We do our interview. It's been 15 minutes. At the end of the interview, he has to run off to a seat fitting to drive Dale Earnhardt's race car. Okay. And so he ran from something to this interview and then to something else. And at the end of the interview, he stands up and he puts his hand out for a fist bump. And he goes, Alanis Morissette, thanks a lot. And I was like, you sat here for 15 minutes and you did not forget my name. That's yeah. beautiful. Thank He's you so much, point. Daniel. Like the bar is not high, but I think that's a pretty high bar for an athlete who is extremely in demand. Thank you, Daniel. Yeah.
3: I have a good I have a couple good Daniel Ricardo stories. Give us a Daniel um, Ricardo story. So, I was obsessed with Daniel Ricardo and in 2014 before my first ever Formula 1 race, US Grand Prix, Red Bull was doing this contest where you could s- design and submit your own movie poster, right? And it was supposed to like describe what your day with a Red Bull team would be if you were to win this contest. Oh, so no. I spent four weeks constantly. I had like nine different drafts. Ultimately, I, I submit my my submission and I win. Oh no. I win this contest. So I got to go have breakfast with the Red Bull team, not like the drivers, but we go to this hotel, we go into this side room, and they're like, Daniel's coming. Daniel comes in and he immediately laser focus onto the snack table, goes and grabs a bowl. And he's like, this is the weirdest cereal I've ever seen. I can't believe you Americans put m and in your cereal.
0: <laughs> Listener,
3: it was trail mix. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> then he proceeded to tell us a story about how he loves sour Skittles so much that every time he eats them, he eats them until his mouth bleeds. What a legend. Nolan, who's your boyfriend of the week?
1: Uh Nick DeVries. Nick DeVries. He yeah. uh did good. That's a good choice. He's uh Wow. Yep, there you go. Well,
3: we have,
2: <laughs> We have a um honorable mention, which is Sebastian Vettel's father, Norbert, who was pictured on the broadcast uh in the Aston Martin garage. And you just see this cute little man doing like a yeah, A surfer up, like hang
3: loose, <laughs> hang loose
2: like hand emoji on the broadcast, and it just says "Father of Sebastian Vettel" on the broadcast, <laughs> and it's very cute. We'll post the picture so you can see it. Thank you so much to Sebastian Vettel's father,
1: and thank you for listening, dear listener. That
2: was uh, smooth. Wow. Yes,
1: uh, thank you so much for listening to the Donut Racing Show.
2: If you like the episode, please. Subscribe and leave us a review. Maybe we'll read it on air. Here's one from Artie in the Second City. Definitely swiping right on this podcast. I'm relatively new to the podcast world and never thought I would enjoy it. But this show and past Gas, which Alanis interjecting here, is also a donut podcast. You should go check it out. Back to Artie from the Second City. This show and past guests are great and make my daily commute to my 9 to 5 that much more enjoyable. This show is great, and I cannot wait until a new episode drops each week. I love how it's not just about the race and you discuss some of the behind-the-scenes drama. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Artie. Yeah, thank you. That's so sweet.
3: As of now, Donut Racing Show is only posting episodes on race weeks, so the next podcast on the upcoming Singapore Grand Prix will air on Wednesday, October 5th. Even though we're taking a break alongside the season, there's no doubt in our minds that we will have plenty of news and gossip to catch up on outside of the race recap when we come back.
1: If you're not familiar with Donut Media, we have a YouTube channel. It's called Donut Media. Go check it out. As well as an automotive history show called Past Gas. Check that out as well. Follow the Donut Racing Show on Twitter at Donut Racing Show. Follow Alanis on Twitter and Instagram at AlanisNKing. And follow Elizabeth on Twitter at Eliz underscore Blackstock or Eliza Blackstock on IG. Just search Elizabeth Blackstock. You'll you'll find I'll come up. And follow me at Nolan J. Sykes. And yeah, we'll see you next time after Singapore on the Donut Racing Show.
3: Bye.